If you like what you hear on this episode, you're going to want to come check out my new podcast called the Unfuck Your Brain Podcast. What you're listening to right now, The Lawyer's Stress Solution, has ceased production of new episodes. But Unfuck Your Brain is rocking and rolling. Every week, I release a new episode of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast, teaching you the same great tools for taming your brain, but with even more applications to other areas of your life. You can search for it by name. Remember, there's an asterisk instead of the U in unfuck because we like to be polite. Or just click the link to it in the podcast description for this show. I'll see you over there. You're listening to The Lawyer Stress Solution, the only podcast that teaches you cognitive science-based techniques specifically created for lawyers. Learn how to manage your lawyer brain and conquer the stress, anxiety, and overwhelm of lawyer life. Here's your host, former lawyer and certified master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my lawyers. So if you were reading the New York Times this week, you might have seen the op-ed about how women lawyers don't speak in court as often as male lawyers. And the writer of the op-ed, who is a judge, a federal judge, who I guess has just stepped down from the bench, was talking about the various reasons that women don't speak in court as much. And she laid most of the blame at the feet of law firms and, you know, particularly senior partners who don't encourage associates to participate in court as much and who don't encourage women in particular to have those leadership opportunities. So today I'm going to talk about taking control of your own professional development. So although I am kind of playing off of this op-ed, if you're a man, you should keep listening. Because number one, right, part of being the next generation of legal leaders is knowing about and working on this problem. And number two, really what I'm teaching goes for any lawyer, right? And all junior lawyers, and even honestly, a lot of mid-career getting to be more senior lawyers could use advice about how to advocate for more professional development, for more opportunities, right? To be the lead on a negotiation, to be the lead on an arbitration, to get to argue a motion, to get to examine a witness, to get to interface with a client, to get to come to the business development dinner, to get to represent the firm at a conference, right? Lots of different opportunities. And what I'm going to teach really is applicable even if you're beyond all that, right? Even if you're already a partner, but you're trying to figure out how to take it to the next level or how to go out on your own or how to get a better lateral offer, like whatever it is, wherever you're trying to take your career, whatever is the next step in your professional development, what I'm going to be teaching is applicable. All right. So I like to think about this as finding your voice, right? And there's a lot of different ways that coaches help lawyers find their voices. So this won't be the only podcast I'll do on this topic. But today, and specifically, I want to talk about speaking up for yourself, right? Finding your voice in the sense of advocating for yourself and your own professional development. This is one of my favorite things to work on with clients because the truth is you cannot rely on anyone else to manage your professional development for you. It's really not their job. It's not the partner's job. It's not your mentor's job. It's not your parent's job. It's not your friend's job. It's your job. Even if you have an assigned mentor at work, which a lot of people do, that really doesn't matter. It's not truly their job. (laughs) It might be part of their job in the sense that it's like expected in the office in the literal sense, but it's not their job in the almost existential sense, right? In the sense of like, you can't abdicate control and responsibility for your own professional development 
to someone else. I mean, you can, but the outcome is not going to be great. No one else will care or be as invested in your professional development as you are. And that's how it should be. It really is your job, right? You're the person who can best advocate for yourself if you can get to the place that you feel confident doing so. The problem really here, one of the problems is that lawyers are trained into passivity, right? And that's ironic because the rest of the world thinks of lawyers as really aggressive, right? And we definitely can be in our conversational tone. We can be quite aggressive. But when it comes to hierarchy and authority, lawyers are generally very risk averse, number one. And number two, we're trained to be extremely deferential to authority. So law professors, partners, supervisors, judges, it's baked into law that there's a hierarchy. The entire concept of the rule of law is premised on the idea of having various levels of authority. And lawyers are pretty much at the bottom, except with our clients. We're like the experts to them, right? But in general, we're taught to be very respectful and deferential to anyone above us, whether that's like the partner on the case or the magistrate judge or the district court judge, the appellate court judge, or the Supreme Court, right? We're law professors and we're law students. There's a lot of expecting authority to evaluate us, rule upon us, and tell us what to think of ourselves. So what that means is that lawyers tend to not advocate for themselves or take initiative for their own professional development. A lot of us were type A students, right, who are used to getting gold stars, and we all want our gold stars, but we assume that the gold star is supposed to come to us, right? We're supposed to show up and do a good job, and then we're supposed to get praised and rewarded and advance to the next level. That's what a lot of our educations were like. That's how a lot of law firm practice can work or even, you know, legal practice in other areas. Often you're entering into an institution or a hierarchy that's going to like progress you and pace you forward and you learn to become kind of dependent on that. And it's particularly true for women lawyers for a few reasons, right? Women lawyers are even less likely than men to advocate for their own professional development. There are a few reasons for that. Number one, I think women are socialized to be more passive than men, right? And even women lawyers who may seem aggressive to non-lawyers, to civilians, are still coping with their own socialization and still will tend to be less aggressive than male lawyers. Women are also socialized to have lower self-esteem and lower self-worth than men. Right? This is where we hear about imposter syndrome a lot. And absolutely, men also suffer from imposter syndrome, as do people who don't identify as male or female, right? Non-binary gender queer people, lots of people suffer from imposter syndrome. All that being said, as a social phenomenon, it is more common among people who are socialized as female, people who are socialized as women. And then finally, you know, women have some reasonable fears of being seen as too pushy or aggressive because traits that are considered positive in men can backfire when women adopt them. But whether that fear is reasonable or not, the truth is that if you don't advocate for your own professional development, you're not going to develop much. And this starts at a really basic level. One of the things I work with my early associates or kind of baby lawyer clients on is just baseline advocacy for themselves. So for example, I have a client who got a new assignment for a type of task, like a new type of task that she wanted experience in doing. So she said it would be done by Wednesday. And then on Tuesday, the partner on the case emailed her asking if it was done yet, because if not, he was going to work on it himself. And so she ran that through her lawyer brain, since it was very early on in our work together. And what her lawyer brain spit out was, he thinks I'm taking too long, and he's going to be disappointed in me. So the only option she saw was to write back and apologize and say she hadn't started yet and have the partner do it instead. 
Now, luckily, she actually happened to get the email while we were on a session. So I was able to coach her in the moment through it. And after we coached through it, she was able to see that two things. Number one, we have no idea why he sent that email, why the partner sent the email. Probably the partner just all of a sudden had a gap in his schedule or had half an hour to spend on something. And he just thought, okay, well, you know, if it's not done yet, I'll just work on it now. It probably had nothing to do with her. He wasn't sitting around thinking she better have done it. And if she hasn't, I'm disappointed, (laughs) right? No, he was just like, my flight's delayed. I've got 20 minutes here in the boarding area. Why don't I do a first crack at that letter, right? That's much more likely to be what he thought. Secondly, the other thing we were able to get to for her is that it was okay to write back and say she hadn't started it, but she was planning to do it that night. And if it was okay with him, she'd like to be the one to do it so she could get experience in that type of work. This didn't had not occurred to her at all. She had not thought of this as an option. Her brain didn't even go to the idea that she could have any say in what was going on. Now, look, obviously, sometimes you don't have a lot of say. Somebody wants something done quickly. If you haven't done it yet, they're going to do it themselves. But she really didn't know that in that in this situation, right? And it hadn't even occurred to her that she could participate in this conversation, right? Her options weren't just limited to saying, yes, I already did it, or no, I didn't, so you should can do it. Right? She could say, no, I haven't. I'm going to do it tonight, and I really want this experience. I'd like to keep it. And as we talked about, right, when I coached her, yeah, he might say no, and that would be fine. She would have lost nothing, right? If he'd written back and said, listen, I really want to get it done right now while I can, you can do the next one, nothing lost, right? But something gained by, number one, showing that initiative, and in her case, he did write back and say, like, oh, yeah, that's fine. You do it. Give it to me tomorrow. But because law firms are high-paced, we tend to get really caught up in that. And I see my clients sort of always believing that everything has to be done as fast as possible. And if anybody even asks about the status or where something is, they take it as a critique of their speed. In this case, it didn't need to be done until the next day. And the partner was perfectly happy to let her take a crack at it. So she got to develop a new skill. She got to try a new thing that was important so that she could do more of it in the future. And all it took was thinking about the situation a little bit differently, not taking it so personally, right? What went wrong here is that she immediately assumed that the email was an implicit critique of her. And taking it personally prevented her from seeing that there was an opportunity to take control of her own professional development here. So this sounds so simple, but so many of my clients aren't able to do this before they come to me, right? They aren't able to effectively advocate for their own professional development because their lawyer brains are taking everything personally right? Making everything about their perceived inadequacy. And this is kind of the beauty in an elegant way of how your brain creates your reality. If your thought is, I'm not a very good lawyer, and you feel anxious, you will interpret anything that comes at you as being more proof that you're not a good lawyer. And so you will not even see that you could take actions to improve your skills and become a better lawyer, right? You will keep yourself stagnant and stuck and not developing because you are taking everything personally and you don't believe in yourself enough to ask for the opportunities you want. And of course, as you get more advanced, the stakes get higher for your professional development. When will you get to interface directly with the clients? When will you get to argue a motion? What about an appeal? When will you get to argue an appeal? When will you get to be the lead associate on a case? When will you be expected to start bringing in business? How do you know if you're really on the right track to make partner? The stakes get larger. But the premise remains the same. If you wait for those opportunities to be just given to you, you're putting your feet in other people's hands. Now, listen, sometimes they will. I've had amazing mentors in my life 
sometimes people will take an interest in you for whatever reason, and they will try to bring you along, right? They will try to nudge you along. They will try to give you opportunities. You might have a supportive partner, you know, that you work with, or even a judge, right? I know this friend of mine was talking to me the other day about a judge in Massachusetts who often pushes back at senior attorneys who talk in his courtroom and asks them why they didn't let the junior attorney talk. So yeah, once in a blue moon, some external authority figure will try to give you the gold star. But it's hit or miss. You can't depend on that. And learning to advocate for yourself, to ask if you can examine a witness or argue a motion or come to the client dinner, right? that's the key to ensuring your own professional development. So what is the big barrier to doing that? Why do so many lawyers have trouble with this? It's not the firm culture. It's not the partner on your case. It's not institutionalized sexism. Those things may exist, and they may make things a bit easier or harder. And I'm going to talk about those on future podcasts. I'm not saying they don't matter at all, but they don't control the outcome, and they don't matter as much as you think they do. And the truth is, they just are, right? They are the reality you're in, whatever the firm culture is, if you are actually perceiving it objectively, right? Often you're not, if you are running everything through your I'm a terrible lawyer brain, right? But let's say you were even perceiving correctly that there is some institutionalized sexism and racism. The firm culture is a problem. Okay, well, it exists, right? You're there. How are you going to navigate inside of it? Blaming things on that culture in a way that makes you feel like you have no control over your career is not going to do you any good, right? Changing institutionalized sexism and racism in large-scale legal service operations is a big task that a lot of people are working on. That doesn't mean that you need to just throw up your hands and declare that you can't do anything about your own career. The true barrier that you can do something about is your thoughts. If you don't believe in your own competence, if you don't believe in your own worth, if you don't believe in your own value, it's going to be impossible to effectively advocate for yourself. And to go back to my point about how there may be actual barriers in a firm or at an NGO or wherever you are, if you don't believe in yourself, it actually is impossible to tell the difference between a place where you can advance and one where you can't, right? When everything that comes in, you interpret through the synthesizer setting of I'm not good enough, I'm failing, you actually can't even tell the signal from the noise. You can't tell whether and what kind of feedback or resistance you're actually getting. If you believe you're powerless to change your work life and that your career is something that just happens to you, then it's going to be impossible to take the reins. So let me, let's just go through one more example to prove this. Let's say you're now the lead associate on a case, but the partner in charge hasn't given you any indication that you'll be allowed to argue any of the case in court or even interact directly with the clients. You know that in order to grow in your position, you need to get some oral argument experience, right? You're not going to be able to move forward unless you have it. Now, the obvious solution is to ask for the opportunity. That might mean literally asking, just like, hey, is there a witness that I could examine, do you think? Or it might mean having a conversation with your firm assigned mentor, right? Or if you're in, in an NGO or nonprofit, an, an official or unofficial mentor you have, or the partner in your biggest case, or any other mentor or colleague, right? To let them know about your goal and strategize about how to prepare for that level of responsibility. This is all obvious, right, if we think about it logically. But if it were easy, everyone would do it. And the reality is your brain is going to give you a lot of reasons that you shouldn't ask for more responsibility, right? They're not going to think it's appropriate. They're going to think you're pushy. They're going to think you think you're better than you are. 
you're already too busy. If the partner thought you were good enough to argue, she would have asked you to do it already. The case is too important. You're too inexperienced. What if you screw up or fail? You could sabotage yourself. If you do badly, it'll be humiliating, right? Your brain is going to spit up that and 10,000 other reasons that you should not ask for more responsibility. Now, when I tell you this, I am speaking from experience. When I was litigating back in the day, I didn't have these tools that I've now developed. So I didn't yet know that my thoughts caused my feelings and that I shouldn't believe everything that my brain said, right? That I shouldn't believe all my thoughts. And I, in one sense, was lucky. I was at a nonprofit. I was doing impact litigation. Even though I was young in my career, people were actually offering me the opportunity to argue in court. You know, we actually litigated quite a bit. We were in court more often than an average lawyer. And I was being offered the chance to argue a motion in a federal court, right? I already had that rare step up that everybody thinks would be the key, being offered the opportunity. It did not matter because my thoughts, my brain was terrified of arguing in court, right? We were doing these big, important, complicated constitutional law cases where the stakes were high for thousands of women every time we went to court. And I was more scared of screwing up than I was eager to advance. The idea of arguing in court terrified me. I was so scared of being asked a question that I couldn't answer. And I was horrified by the idea that the judges would be judging me and that I would be yelled at or told I was wrong, right? In those days, that was like the worst thing I could imagine happening. And so what did I do? I passed up every opportunity I was offered. So actually one of the reasons that I left litigation, because the idea of arguing in court terrified me. But I didn't see how I could be a litigator without arguing in court. So I left. Now, in the end, of course, I'm glad that I left litigation because it was part of the path that took me through academia and policy work and running a think tank and finally to becoming a coach. And I love my life. It's better than I ever could have dreamed, right? I've used these tools to create this life that I love. But it's still true that if I had known then what I know now, I would not have had to leave so quickly just to avoid my fear. Right now, I never want my fear to be a reason that I make a decision. But back then, when I didn't know how to manage my thoughts and I didn't know how to change my thinking, fear absolutely drove my decisions and it drove me right out of litigation. It drove me right out of a very prestigious nonprofit that wanted to keep me on because I was so scared of what it would be like to have to speak in court. And I didn't want to take any opportunities to develop myself professionally in that context, even though they were being offered to me. So the reason I tell you this story is because so many of you think that the problem is you're not being offered enough opportunities to grow and gain more responsibility. You think if everyone else that you worked with would give you more opportunities, then you could advance and grow. But the truth is, if you don't get your brain in order, even if you're offered those opportunities, you'll freak out and be terrified. And in fact, those opportunities may already be existing around you, but you don't see them. So the key to growing from opportunities that are offered or learning to ask for opportunity is the same. You have to learn to manage your self-critical and catastrophizing thoughts. So it's a two-step process. Number one, you have to manage your mind. It's like what we talk about on this podcast all the time. You have to change your thoughts about your abilities and the consequences of making mistakes. You have to take the mental stakes down so that you are not so terrified. And then number two, you have to actually advocate for yourself and ask for the opportunities you want. 
So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to take you through an exercise. You can just pause this podcast to do each step. So number one, I want you to make a list of three things you'd like to do to advance your professional development. So it could be working on a new subject area. It could be taking on a new responsibility in your practice group or in your division or department. It could be pursuing professional activities outside of your job, right? Like joining a bar committee or representing your organization or firm at a conference or trying to publish a paper, right? A law review article or anything like that. Starting a podcast (laughs) if you want to do that, right? Make a list of three things you'd like to do to advance your professional development. And for each one, the second step is each one you write down what would need to happen to make it happen. Like who do you have to talk to? What do you have to sign up for? What actions do you take? How do you have to strategize? And obviously none of the things on your list should be someone else asked me out of the blue if I want to do this thing, (laughs) right? That can't be one of the steps. It needs to be things you can do. So number one, you make the list of three things. Number two, for each of the three things, you write down what you would need to have happen to bring it to fruition. And if three is overwhelming, you can just do one. Just start with one. All right, third step, for each thing that you want to do to advance your professional development, you write down your thoughts about why you aren't ready, how you would screw up, how you might fail, or any other thoughts about why it's a bad idea. So you just do a brain dump and you get all the negative thoughts out of your brain, right? Your brain constantly will tell you when you think about doing anything new, don't do that. It's a bad idea. You're going to die. Like that, my brain says that to me all the time. I want to do, I want to create a new program. Don't do that. It's a bad idea. You're going to (laughs) die. Right. I want to go network where I don't know people. Don't do that. It's a bad idea. You're going to die. That's what your brain will do. It just tells you you're going to die all the time because that's how it evolved. Keeping you safe involved a lot of telling you not to do things because you might die. That's how the brain works. So that is normal. You just got to get all those thoughts out. What are all the reasons that your brain is telling you this is a bad idea? Don't do this. You might die. Then the fourth step, once you have all those negative thoughts out, right, you can see all the ways your brain is telling you you're going to die. You write down, you come up with a thought that helps you feel motivated, empowered, or capable for each goal, right? So let's say your goal is, I want to start a podcast to position myself as an expert in this field. And then what would have to happen? You make a list and it's like, I would need to learn how to figure out how to produce a podcast or hire someone. I would need to have a list of topics. I would need to buy some recording equipment. I would potentially need to get permission from my employers, depending on what the conditions are. I would need to find time to record. I would need to get topics. I would need to get artwork. I would need to get voiceovers, whatever. You make your list, right? All the things that have to happen. Then you write down all the things your brain is telling you. You don't have enough time. You're going to sound stupid. Who are you to think that you could host a podcast? You'll have to do it every week. It's going to be so much work. It's going to be really hard. You don't know anything about producing a podcast. You're going to have to deal with technology. You don't have any idea where to get voiceovers or cover art. People are going to think you're full of yourself. No one's going to take you seriously. No one's going to come be on your podcast. Nobody's going to listen to it. It's going to be a waste of time and you're going to humiliate yourself. That's just like off the top of my head. (laughs) That's that's basically what my brain said to me when I started this podcast, right? Your brain's going to say all that stuff. And then you have to come up with a thought that helps you feel better, that helps you feel motivated or empowered or capable. Right. So for me, what I did when I was trying to start this podcast and my brain was telling me all those thoughts, 
the thought that I came up with to practice was, I know this work can help people and the podcast is how I can teach them about it. That thought made me feel super energized. It didn't even matter how many people it was. It didn't matter what anyone else thought who didn't like the work. It didn't really matter that I had to, you know, figure out how to produce a podcast or pay someone to do it. None of that mattered. What was motivating was the idea that I know this work helps people and that a podcast was how people could find out about the work and just find out that it existed and learn about it. That was a really motivating thought for me. So you have to come up with a thought. Now, notice I did not go through the list and come up with a corresponding alternative thought for each negative thought. You don't need to do that. You just got to come up with one thought that feels compelling for you, and then you got to practice thinking it over and over. Every time you do the next thing on your action list that you set up in step two, your brain will start to say you're going to die again. And you have to think the new thought on purpose again. All right, so let me go through that list quickly again. Number one, make a list of things you'd like to do to advance your professional development. Number two, you write down what actual tasks would need to be done to get to that goal. Number three, you do a brain download of all the negative thoughts your brain has about why it's going to be terrible and you shouldn't do it and you might die. And then number four, you come up with a compelling thought that helps you feel motivated and energized to move forward and you repeat that thought to yourself all the time, as much as necessary, as you take the actions. So easier said than done, I know, right? If you want some help strategizing about what you should pick as the next step or how to deal with those negative thoughts or any other aspect of that little technique I just taught you, that is what my free mini sessions are for. They are for three a week and one per person to clear up, seems to have been some confusion about that. And you can sign up at www thelawyerstresssolution.com forward slash mini session. So just again, just the name of the podcast forward slash mini session. And spots are actually fairly limited in August because I'm taking a week off. I know, which is mind blowing, an actual week off. So hurry your little typing fingers over and sign up now. We'll talk about the next step for you and what thoughts are getting in the way. And you'll leave with two concrete necessities, right? The next step, we'll pick a goal for you, whatever it's going to be and a thought you're going to practice thinking that will help you take it. Those are the two things you really need. I'll also, on the mini session, offer you some information about how you can get more help from me if you're interested, if you really want to advance, but there's never any pressure. And we all only get into it if we both think it might be a good fit. Right? It's just like going on a date. Both people have to think it's worth talking again. So there's no reason not to sign up unless you don't want to feel better and you don't want to take any action in your career. In which case, honestly, you can probably just stop listening to this podcast altogether and save yourself some time. The rest of you, really all of you, I know all of you listening, you do want to feel better and you do want to learn how to take some action. Why not? That's the whole point of this work. So get yourself over to www.thelawyerstresssolution forward slash mini session and let's talk it out. All right. I'll talk to you all next week. If this episode resonated with you, you need to come check out The Clutch. Because once you've learned how to coach yourself, we have an entire bonus workbook on overcoming work stress. Take you through exercises to deal with overwhelm, to deal with difficult colleagues or bosses, to deal with anxiety, imposter syndrome, worry about your work life, overwhelm, everything that impacts you at work. Plus, you can get access to daily support and expert coaching to help you manage your anxiety around literally anything that can come up in the office or at home. You can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome, avoid burnout, and show up confidently at work 
I know it's possible because I've done this work on myself. You can sign up at unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch, or you can just text your email address to 347-934-8861, and we will send you a link right to your phone where you can check out all the information. It's my favorite place in the world, and I cannot wait to share it with you. Thank you.